Hello, hello, and welcome to the first episode of The Bars of Mars. In this episode, I chat to a really good friend of mine, Jason Carpenter, and really, really try and understand what is going on in the blockchain space, um, what's happening with Bitcoin. We dive into the halving, and we talk around a lot of different topics. It's an hour-long episode, so we really get to touch on a lot of different things. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you find some nuggets in there. There's definitely a lot of nuggets that do come up um, all over the place. Jason's an amazing mind and probably one of the most knowledgeable people that I know in the crypto sphere at the moment. Hope you enjoy. I hope you learn something. Please don't forget to like, share and tell all of your friends about this. Uh, the more we can get it out there, the better. I'd love everyone to be able to learn as much as possible. Good morning, good morning. So there is some... Um yeah, there's no better way to do it than just do it. So this is The Bars of Mars, and welcome to the podcast. It's episode one, and basically what I'm trying to do is I'm just exploring the things that I find interesting with people that are a lot more knowledgeable about it than I am. So I've actually got a, a really good friend of mine here, Jason Carpenter, and um, in this episode we're going to talk about, well, I think we're probably going to probably going to go across across the tracks into a couple of different topics but we will try and stay around bitcoin and the halving um that's about to take place on the 15th of may uh, it's a it's a huge supply side event and um yeah there's some there's some interesting things going on in the in the background which i think jay can jay can tell us about so yeah i hope you enjoy this it's going to be it's going to be an interesting podcast uh, an interesting conversation and um, I actually just wanted to start off. So I've got a book here, Jay. This is, this is a book that you actually recommended to me. Um, it's called Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. I hope, um, I hope some people have read it out there. It's a really it's a fantastic book. And um, one of the things that stuck with me, I can't actually find the quote now, but one of the things that stuck with me about this book was that he was saying, you know, it's, you, you're remembered for the rules that you break. And, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know of a single person that um, would like to break the rule of, of the current economy like, like Jay, um, Jay Cops. So, yeah, Jay, if you could, if you could um, give us a bit of an intro, or I'll actually, I'll give a little bit of an intro because he probably won't do himself justice. But Jay is, um, he is the co-founder with Michael Haynes of um, Etherbridge Capital. Uh, it's actually, it has been Kaizen Capital for the last two years. Um, but just recently changed the name to Etherbridge um, just because there was some shitty company in Johannesburg that had already taken Kaizen and had given them a bad name. And I think Etherbridge is in you. It's a better... It's a better... It's a better, one. It's a better name. <laughs> Let's be honest. It definitely is a better, is a better name. Um, but anyway, Etherbridge, Etherbridge Cap is, um, is run by, by Jay and, and Mike Haynes. And, you know, these guys have really just dived into the ins and outs and um, you know everything, everything to do with the with the crypto sphere, regulation. Um, you know what what exactly what value is it going to bring to society? Is it something that's valuable? Um, you know where is it going? And and they've really they've really torn it apart. Um, so when it comes to when it comes to the crypto space, these guys are it. They they are well. I mean, it's obviously a learning curve. And and I think Jay will Jay will probably probably try and explain where he's trying to take the company. And I'd love to actually dive into that in a in a later in a later episode, Jay. I'd love to hear it from you. Um, 
but I think yeah, if we can if we can dive into the halving, Ooh. and um, and hear a little bit about what that's going to mean, where are we? What does it mean? You know, with Corona, like yeah, just let's um, let's dive right in. Are we are we on the up? Are we on the are we on the down? Is is Bitcoin growing? What's happening? Right. Um, okay. Yeah. So I think the best place to sort of start and like a lot of confusion around what the halving is is a lot of people think that the amount of bitcoins that are available are the thing that is halving um, and in order to sort of understand more about that we're going to have to dive into exactly how the bitcoin machine works um, okay i i don't know how the bitcoin well, i mean i've got a, a a very very shallow understanding of how the bitcoin machine awesome. works even though i mean i've i've been i've been looking at it for for years hey and yeah. i still don't quite you know, I mean, it, it, there's still there's still a lot of gaps. So yeah, please. Yeah, I think I think me. one thing that makes it so hard to close those gaps is how simple Bitcoin really is. Um, yet the problems it can solve are, are so large, um, and that often brings people to question its viability in terms of cheap as well. If it's this simple, can it really achieve the things that it you know is is set out to achieve? Um, so yeah, we, we at uh, Etherbridge define blockchain um, networks as triple entry accounting mechanisms that are built on top of a distributed ledger that is maintained um, all over the world. Um, and if you think about how a blockchain based transaction would work in a normal system, Marlow would want to pay me 100 Rand and um, he would pay it through my bank. Um, I would record an income in my books and Mars Bars would record a, an expense in his books. Uh, the difference with blockchain-based networks is that there's always a third party privy to every transaction. Um, and what they essentially do is they provide uh, transacting parties with a digital receipt. So when Marlow pays me, he'll get a digital receipt from this um, third party, I'll get a digital receipt and that third party will keep a copy of that digital receipt and log it on what we call the blockchain or a yeah. dominant record of events. So this creates a, an immutable ledger that, um, okay. that allows transacting parties to transact without the permissions of our legacy banking system. Um, with a money that is controlled and maintained by code. Um, yeah. So in order and, to and what, is, what does that mean? What does that mean for us as as a society where we where we are now? What does it mean for us? Because I know this is something that you are massively yeah. passionate about. What what exact what is it? What is it going to enable in terms of personal freedoms? In terms of you know, breaking breaking a system and moving away from a system that is clearly not working. Yeah. So, uh, firstly, if, if if you just think about like cash as a payment system, right? Cash for a very long time, sort of for for as long as everyone that is alive today has been around, has been this public infrastructure for making payments, right? You don't you don't need someone's permission to make a payment in. In, uh, in cash um, and that cash has been the sort of public payment infrastructure of the world since at least um, the sort of 40s since the Brenton, Brenton Woods agreement when they moved um, away from a gold standard um, and more to a commodity based money um, 
and the US dollar essentially became the reserve currency of the world, but it was redeemable for for gold. For, uh, it was redeemable for $35 yeah. an ounce of gold. Um, now, this this sort of uh, this sort of public payments infrastructure is it's great, but obviously cash has its has its limitations. It's uh, it is portable, it is divisible, mm -hmm. um, but it still requires storage costs. Um, it requires obviously the you know the fear of having to store it, for example, under your bed or. Um, in your garden or wherever you would want to sort of store dig up, it. Dig up the garden, put it in there. Yeah, and, and, and essentially <laughs> as like sort of commerce has moved more online and, and, and people well, have that, started yeah, to transact more online, they have removed what was previously a public payment infrastructure, right? As, okay. as the world has become more digital, um, our reliance on third-party intermediaries like banks, um, like third-party verifiers has become... Uh, has grown exponentially um, absolutely so for example when you want to transact now in today's society you have the public payment infrastructure that is cash yes but if you want to transact in large amounts globally or even small amounts globally you need to tap into private infrastructure that is uh, in most cases controlled and owned by banks okay can I can I ask you a question there because yeah. I think it's you know we, we could get we could get into into you know a huge long conversation around uh, you know many different aspects of this but what is wrong with that what is wrong with the current system and why does it need to change cool um, so yeah so uh, as cash sort of becomes less used in society and less people have access to uh, this public payments infrastructure and then are required to tap into a private payments um, infrastructure they start taking on costs that they wouldn't normally have to take on using a Public payment infrastructure. Bank costs. Uh, bank costs. Transaction costs or storage costs. Storage costs. Okay. Um, you know, in the developed world, even costs just for holding your money in the form of negative interest rates. Um, and then, obviously, yeah. the greatest and biggest cost, which is inflation. Um, now, uh, to a lot of people, and and this is something that's always fascinated me, is that every single one of my friends is is so in love with money. All they want to do is make money. Mm. Um, mm but there's a very, very small percentage of them that actually care about how that money came into creation. Okay. So you've almost got like a society of people that are you know, fighting for something that they need in order to achieve some kind of utility in their lives, but they, they don't care how it comes into creation. They don't necessarily care who controls it. Um, and they are part of a forced sort of opt-in society. There's yeah. no way to or there, there wasn't until the creation of Bitcoin, there was no way to opt into a certain mm. type of economics, mm. right? Um, so in, in our current economic system, we believe that if we inflate the money supply, we'll incentivize investment. And that investment will be used um, to direct that um, newly created money into productive assets that will produce incomes, that will trickle down into the economy um, and give more people utility in the form of money that they can spend, that they yeah. can use. Yes. Um, and okay. unfortunately, since sort of the 70s, we've, we've sort of, we've manipulated everything that we can manipulate. We've manipulated interest rates all the way down to zero. Um, South Africa is now actually at its lowest interest rate ever in its history. Hmm. Um, what is that, by the way? That's about 4.25% now. So. Sure. 
you know, um, you, you're hardly even beating inflation. Um, our, our measures around how inflation are, are done are, are clearly in, incorrect. I mean, anyone that lives in this country knows that inflation is not 4.5%. Uh, the things that we measure inflation by are um, a basket of goods that you can buy at a, at a supermarket. Now, if you think mm. about the processes that go into those basket of goods, they're exceptionally deflationary. Okay, it, it doesn't make sense that that basket of goods is becoming more expensive over time. But it does make sense when you understand how the system was engineered and that the system was engineered to increase prices over time. Um, and, uh, Can you explain that to me, because I, I must say I don't, I don't understand. So, so who's engineered it and what have they engineered it to do? And why have they engineered it to do that? So it, yeah. they've, they've engineered it around a certain way of economic thought, around the Keynesian way of economic thought. Is this banks? Was this governments? Is it, um, I would say that this originated with Richard Nixon and Wall Street in, in the 70s. Okay. They, they manufactured a situation that would make them exceptionally important in society. Okay, so when, when, that makes when, sense. when you think about what we've just... It's gone, a smart thing to do as, as a human being. 100%. Yeah. You know, when, when, when you think about how important finance is in our lives and how, mm. how important the financial services sector has become in everybody's lives, it, is, it, it, is, it has become that because the money that we earn for the work that we do loses value perpetually over time, which forces us to take on risks that we don't necessarily understand. So the big question to anyone who listens to this is, um, how much money have you lost due to government interventions around lockdowns? And how many of the investments that you are involved in do you truly understand? Okay. Um, when you go back through financial history, you realize that asset allocations change based on what the sort of money is that people use. So when you go back to sort of biblical times, you see things like Jewish proverbs that uh, talk about keeping a third of your wealth in your own business, keeping a third of your wealth in your property, and keeping a third of your wealth in cash. Now, hmm. when you look at current asset allocations, we are so far away yeah. from those things, right? But those guys had the, the opportunity to, uh, to keep a third of their wealth in cash um, because the cash that they were using was, was scarce. And therefore, as long as people made investments that grew the goods and services available for them to buy, that money over time would increase in value um, because it would be inflating at a, at a rate that um, is less than the inflation um, in the amount of goods and services that we have. Yes, right? so I'm with you. Less money, um, less money tracking more goods and services results in that money having more value. Um, Okay. So they had the freedom to do that, which meant that they didn't have to have this massive reliance on the financial services sec sector, right? Mm. Uh, we we we've all you know, and we can't operate without it. And we can't operate. I mean, it's, we can't operate without it. You yeah. Know? And then, yeah. then well, I mean, we can now. Well, we, it's starting to. We we we're starting to. Starting but to the, the financial education is something that like people need to get more of. Okay. And in actual fact. The, the sort of hope with moving on to blockchain-based networks is that you shouldn't have to be financially literate in order to Absolutely. preserve your purchasing power over time. Um, you know, if you think about the financial advisors out there and, and how easy it is to become a financial advisor these days, 
the best sort of route that you can take is go to Vasti, drop out after three years, go to a discovery and become a financial advisor. You have no skin in the game. You're selling products that not even you understand. Um, you're taking commissions <laughs> up front and the incentives around yeah. um, how we deal with finance are completely um, inadequate. Um, it, yeah. it, it's a theme going on right now. Look at all the biggest asset managers in the country. All of them are telling their investors not to panic and that everything is going to be okay. Um, you know, I, wa I want to see this due diligence. I want to see the reasons why we say that the economy is going to be okay when up to 15 to 20% of our, our entire economy might lose their jobs. Every, every income is someone else's expenditure. You can't tell me that these zombie companies, that these asset managers are forcing you to continually buy because some central bank is stepping in and making their balance sheets look adequate, mm, mm. Uh, not bankrupt, but adequate. Yeah, yeah. Um, and these guys are just, you know, trying to get us to uh, help uh, keep their bags nice and, and, and full and heavy. Um, <laughs> so the incentives that the financial services industry has created, number one, a perpetually um, inflating currency that loses value over time, okay? And that requires you to take on risk in order to preserve your purchasing power. Yeah. Most people tell me that, listen, but cash doesn't lose purchasing power over time because I go to my bank and I, I, I deposit it at my bank and they give me an interest rate. Um, but doing that, you're essentially going to an institution and providing them with an unsecured loan, okay, um, that they can essentially lend your money out as they please. Um, and that is concerning because that means that our money, um, the, that means that the only way that our money can actually preserve some kind of purchasing power is by um, taking risk. Um, money shouldn't have to take, shouldn't have to, um, money doesn't imply risk. Real money doesn't mm -hmm. imply risk. You don't take on any risk when you hold money. But when money becomes debt like it has become in our society, yeah. You're taking you, on a huge amount of risk. You constantly are taking on yeah, risk. And, and the only way that something like the South African Rand preserves its purchasing power is if everyone who borrows in Rands continues to service the debts in which they've borrowed. Um, and, you know, when, when we have sort of catastrophic events like this that, yeah. that, that really slow down the economy, you start to see the cracks in the, in yeah, the, in in the, the woodwork. Yeah, 100%. And, and the fact that, you know, Fuck! Only like sixty percent of companies couldn't service their their interest payments after two months, and the central bank had to step in with five hundred billion mm. rands worth of liquidity just to keep these guys. And I mean, above that's, board. Pr this, that's this printed money, huh? Is, is that that is, is that printed newly injected? You see, the, the best well, part about it. Well, maybe not printed, but just that's the best part about they've it. They've created it, it's not some even digital that currency difficult and let it into the system. That's the problem. It's mm. not even that difficult anymore. At least like. You know, 20, 30 years ago, it was that difficult. You actually had to spend some money to create, you know, new cash. Now, I'm pretty sure. It sorry, just I takes think that is literally a mosquito larvae oh, that's in my coffee. That's not ideal. That's not ideal. <laughs> um, so, what we have is yeah. essentially a peaceful revolution against us. Okay. We, we no longer need to fight a war in order to 
move away from the status quo, to move away from a system. You simply that was, vote with your finances. You simply vote yeah. with your finances. You okay. simply opt out of a certain type of economic practice. Okay. Right? Can, can I can I just jump in here because yeah. I want to I want to actually try and direct this direct this conversation because we can I mean we could obviously get into we could be sitting here the whole day if we if we were just gonna yeah. you know if we had enough energy enough coffee we probably yeah. could. Um, but so so what what can people do to be able to opt in or opt away from the current system and opt into a new and and um, a better system? What can people do? One. What are the options? Are we, you know, is it is it is it Bitcoin and Ethereum? Yeah. Is it Bitcoin and Ethereum and a number of select altcoins? Um, and then finally, if we just look at Bitcoin, why is it a it a good thing to get into Bitcoin now? Because I know I know your advice to me is to save Bitcoin, and you know to save it on a regular basis because the price discovery, the, or the potential price increase in in the value of Bitcoin in maybe a five or 10 year period is going to be, or it could potentially be, uh, what do you say, a hundred X? Well, um, yeah, I mean, if you, if you take what central banks have, have come out and said now, and in, in that, you know, there is an unlimited amount of money in order to support asset prices in economies, okay? Um, you know, Bitcoin's value proposition and, you know, where it could go becomes, essentially infinite in US dollar terms um, you know the, the 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 sort of story goes well how can one US dollar have value if it costs you know a couple seconds of your time and the stroke of a keyboard to create new US dollars um, so by the sort of central banks coming in and you know saying hey we will provide unlimited amounts of liquidity we will do whatever it takes to support asset prices and, and make financial asset owners feel wealthy again and hopefully they'll spend some of that money um, yeah I think that that has uh, that has sort of run its course um, kind of lost my train of thought no no worries okay, well, let's, let's, um, let, let's use this opportunity and let's talk about the halving okay, so the bitcoin cool, halving yeah. is happening on the 15th of May yeah 2020 awesome so that is how many days? Where are we? So that's where about are we at? seven days from now, eh? No, no, no. Uh, no, we, no, two weeks. <laughs> no, it can't be you got two your time long, timelines wrong. It's, a third, it's the third of May. Yeah, but it's on the 12th of May. Oh, I thought it was the 15th of May. Yeah, so nine days. Nine okay, days. okay. Yeah. So we're nine days away. So, yeah, we got a... Yeah, I mean, that's not, that's not, a, not a lot it's of time. not long at all, no. And I'm, I see this, this morning Bitcoin's just gone over $9,000. It has, yeah. So that's, that's very interesting. I mean, I'm, yeah, yeah what, what, is, what is the halving going to do? Okay. What, what are we... Because what are we expecting? So first, or, or what? What are the what are the facts? Because I mean, the expect the expectation can go. Yeah. You know, maybe it's going to go to the moon, or maybe it'll drop to zero. Yeah. We don't know. Hundred percent. It's just speculation. But what are the facts? Okay, so first to understand the halving, we need to understand how how miners in in uh, on the Bitcoin network are paid. Um, okay. Miners on the Bitcoin network are paid to provide transacting parties guarantees that transactions will be processed will be executed and will reach final settlement. Okay, that is their job. That is what they are there to do. In order to perform this work, what they have to do is they have to buy up expensive hardware, they have to connect it to the electricity and they have to connect it to the Bitcoin network. And once they've done that, they now become a miner. They are now contributing um, computational power to the Bitcoin network in order to 
provide those three guarantees yeah. around processing, execution, and, and settlement. Um, Okay. That that is that, makes sense. that is a profit-driven business. Yeah. It is run so, by economically motivated actors, yeah, right? Hundred percent. There are incentives for them to act truthfully and honestly, and there are disincentives for them to um, to not make bad decisions and act uh, dishonestly. Right? Okay. So at every point in time, what what are those? Just at a high level. Awesome. So um, if you act truthfully, yeah. you earn the reward. Um, of validating any given block right so your chance to validate any given block is essentially your computational power um, relative to the entire network's computational power is the sort of probability yes that you will get a chance to validate a block right so cool. if you own one percent of the network yeah. over the course of the year you should in theory earn one percent of bitcoin's total rewards yeah. for um for that year okay Okay, that makes complete sense. Um, so yeah, so we have these economically driven, mo uh, e economically driven sort of actors in the Bitcoin space that we call miners. Yeah, and just quickly, what if if they if they act in in the the network's disinterest? Yes. What happens then? Awesome. So um, that's a beautiful sort of part about Bitcoin's proof of work system is okay. that it is exceptionally difficult to solve the problem. Okay, that allows you the right to validate a block. Okay, but it is exceptionally easy for everyone to know that you've solved that problem once you've solved the problem. So the problem itself is asymmetric. It's so it's almost like a mathematical equation. Yeah, Basically, like yes. you know, you well, got your at, math teacher at, at, at and it's, it's either simplest, right or wrong. At its simplest, it's random guessing. Okay. Okay. So um, you've got a output that has been produced by inputs. Okay? Yes. And the only way for you to sort of um, to sort of guess what that uh, what that output is is by randomly guessing it. Okay. Okay. So it's like a password. It's like a. It's like a. Yeah, but it, it requires a significant amount of electricity and a significant amount of work yeah. to solve said problem. Okay. Sure. Okay. Sure. So at all times that you're trying to solve the Bitcoin problem as a miner, you're expending electricity. Yeah. Therefore, when you get your chance, your right to validate a block, it's not in your interest to not validate it truthfully okay okay so if it, it, let's just say let's just say i'm a miner and i didn't validate it truthfully yes i've spent all of this all of this electricity to tr to mine to be able to to mine this block mm -hmm. and now i i tweak something on on my side and i i you know i i, I try and transfer some transactions to me mm -hmm. how does the network know about that and then what action is taken as a result of the network finding out about that um you know, malicious act. Hundred percent. So, because and, and the, a, is that the right yeah, track? Yeah, hundred percent. So, uh, you've got two different sort of actors in in the validation of transactions and the maintenance of the ledger. So, you've got the miners that fight for that right to validate a transaction, and then you've got the nodes um, that essentially keep a copy of the ledger that they update every ten minutes. Now, um, because the problem is asymmetric, it becomes very easy for a node to identify that value has been sent in a way that isn't legitimate, that um, that this miner has come in and instead of that 100 Rand that Marlo sent to me, he's putting it in in his wallet. Um, it would be very easy for nodes to identify the fact that this ledger proposal within this 10 minutes mm -hmm. isn't actually truthful because the, the sort of nounce that they would come up with wouldn't make sense, okay? So, the nodes would have the ability to um, essentially not 
um, accept that miner's proposed block um, and not update their ledger to include that miner's proposed block. Um, and yeah, that's essentially that okay. at, at all points. And then the miner, the miner would then lose all of the money that they've spent on electricity to yes, mine that block. To earn that right. And they would have to sit then and wait until their next opportunity. So, you know, if you only own 1% of the network's computational power, you're only going to get, you know, a one in a hundred opportunity every time that block, um, every time a block sort of becomes available for validation. So you expend all these electricity expenses and then you act poorly and you don't earn the block reward from the Bitcoin network, you end up, um, you know, foregoing that electricity that you've spent. You okay. know, that, that fiat denominated uh, cost yeah. is going to happen whether you like it or not. So Absolutely. it's not in your interest to act poorly and, and nodes okay. will very easily be able to identify that you have acted dishonestly. Okay, I think, I think I'm, I'm definitely, I've got, a, got an idea of, of how that works. Yeah. So I think it's a good segue into, into understanding now what yeah. is going to happen with the halving. Cool. So the, the Bitcoin halving is not a halving of the available Bitcoins, but it's, it's a halving of the uh, issuance that happens every 10 minutes. Right? So, so the block reward. The block reward. So yeah. the, amount that the, the amount that the miners, so, so just I, I, yeah. the amount that the miners are, are getting in reward for mining a block is about to is about to be half. split into yes. half. So yes. they if they were getting if they were getting for argument's sake a thousand dollars per block, yeah. don't even know if that's anywhere close to accurate, they're now gonna get five hundred. And that's gonna happen in a matter of a day. Hundred percent. And and remember that those bitcoins that they're being rewarded with are newly minted bitcoins. It's it's essentially a subsidy from the Bitcoin network to pay for that third party validation. Um, it, it, it goes without saying that over time, transaction fees should eventually become a larger part of the profit that uh, these miners earn and the subsidy yes. that the Bitcoin network pays them will, will decrease. Um, but the subsidy that, that the Bitcoin network pays miners is very closely tied to the price that Bitcoin's trading at, right? So, so currently, Bitcoin and, is and a. Yeah. So just before we before we carry on, I, there was there was something I got stuck on there, yeah. and I and I've been meaning to clarify this. Yeah. Is so so now when when the twenty one million Bitcoin have been re released into into yeah. the into circulation in the network. Yeah. Now what happens? The block the, the miners are not are no longer going to be mining new yeah. new um, or they're not going to be mining new. Well, they will be mining new blocks, yeah, right? So, but yeah, they, the, the they're subsidy, not going to be rewarded for... Yeah, there will be no subsidy from the Bitcoin network. Okay, so how will they then earn the money? They will have to make their money off transaction fees. So so are we are we likely to see an increase in the transaction fees? No. When when the, the last Bitcoin is mined? No. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't say that that would be... I don't think that that would be a way that would be rewarding for any stakeholder involved in, in Bitcoin's network by... By increasing transaction fees to sort of uh, make up for the subsidy that is being halved every four years uh, wouldn't be beneficial to any stakeholder involved in Bitcoin's network. Okay. Um, the thing that would be beneficial is something like mainstream adoption that would lead to higher transaction 
So just a higher transaction rate rather yeah, than, or, yeah, or just, a, a just more transactions, more yeah, throughput. So more, more people more transactions being performed, bringing the total amount of transaction fees, which are very. That's low. interesting. Okay, so yeah, yeah I, I can see how that transition would work because yeah. I, I mean, in my mind, I was thinking, you know, how are these how are these miners going to be paid once yeah. all of the Bitcoin no, is being no, mined? No, no. They they will. I, I doubt that they will increase the transaction fees to send a Bitcoin on the Bitcoin network. I, I, and and remember, this is this is a problem that we're going to deal with in twenty one forty. Is, is, is twenty one forty the last 20, time? Twenty one forty will be the, the year be. that the, the the last Bitcoin will be mined and paid as a. Well, subsidy. I mean, cheese, but that's just, that's a hell of a long time away. And yeah. plus, I mean, with the Bitcoin, with the the halvings every mm. four years, right? You know, it's gonna get, it's it's actually it's actually a re, it's a probably a beautiful like mm. mechanism to to create that change yeah. over over a long period of time, yeah. allow for adaption to take place, yeah, I mean, and uh, an evolution we, to take we, place. We, we, we see awesome. Bitcoin sort of evolution in three <laughs> simple steps, and and these these steps have come from how gold became robust money in society. Um, gold initially must have just been found by some guy, okay, who found a shiny metal and was like, this is pretty cool okay. seems legit he then went and uh <laughs> probably found more and uh because it was shiny and pretty people were like okay cool that is something that i would be willing to accept for my chicken okay and then people started <laughs> to realize that shit this stuff is scarce okay we can't find lots of it and in order for us to find more of it we need to expend a shitload of money so it's difficult. to dig it out of the ground exactly yeah. it's difficult to create more gold mm, you know mm. And Bitcoin easy. is built on the exact same principles. Bitcoin is built on on the exact same principles, but with m multiple improvements. Okay. So okay. So explain the improvements. Yeah. Let, let's just focus mm. on the on the on the thought of, sort of yeah. three stages. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So, gold went through three significant stages. It went through a stage where it needed to s store wealth, and it needed to prove itself as a storehold of wealth. Okay. Once it reached a certain level of um, wealth that it that was being stored in gold it became an ideal candidate for a medium of exchange okay um because there was enough sort of backing and the value that it that it held um and once it became a medium of exchange um and it was broadly used as a medium mm. of exchange it, it eventually became a unit of account okay that we priced goods and services in okay um what's what's interesting is when you go back into gold's history you can see how well gold has actually done its job in acting as scarce money for example uh, the price of beef in sort of 300 a.d translated into today's um you know if you if you take into account inflation of the u.s dollar um is it, it was about 40 dollars a piece of uh, i mean not 40 dollars it was about uh, it was about 15 dollars a piece of meat 20 20 dollars for an expensive bottle of olive oil and uh, um, about ten dollars for I think it was. What year? What year are we talking this about? About here? like three hundred AD. Okay. Okay. Um, All right. So you know, because of so in today's terms, that's basically in what today's it, terms, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, adjusted for inflation mm, and adjusted mm, for the mm. gold price as it is today in dollar terms, we, we we see that gold has actually, in terms of what it can buy you in goods and services, has remained pretty relatively constant over time okay. that, that's what it's there for it's not yeah, there yeah. as a wealth creation mechanism it's yeah. there as a wealth transfer mechanism yes because it's scarce can't be manipulated yeah, but yeah. um hmm. it's mainly there to preserve said wealth okay so bitcoin sure. is going through the exact same process right um it, it it would be laughable um if bitcoin reached market capitalizations above a trillion dollars that people didn't start to think of it as a medium of exchange okay 
and understand where we are we at the moment in terms of market cap we're at about 150 billion us dollars that's a lot of money that's a lot of money it's it's a lot of money it's not a trillion um, but it's it's not a trillion but it's a it, it is a lot of money mm. um i think that you know the amounts that are are, are transacted on on bitcoin's network are, are the amounts that are more exciting uh, for example, there was there was more value transacted on the Bitcoin network than the entire GDP of South Africa, okay, in 2019. Sure. So, you know, in terms of like, how big is the digital economy? Well, it's orders of magnitude bigger than South Africa's economy. Um, so, essentially, we, we're in this we're in this storeholder value phase of Bitcoin, and that was part of Satoshi's brilliance was creating a a block subsidy that would allow Bitcoin's network to bootstrap itself um, until it became a worthwhile medium of exchange. When Bitcoin becomes a worthwhile medium of exchange, it goes without saying that the transaction fees that miners would collect from allowing people to transact would eventually solve the problem of an ever decreasing subsidy. Um, but remember, the subsidy in dollar terms uh, continues to to go up with the price of Bitcoin. So. You know, in this four-year period, we've experienced an inflation rate of 3.8% on the Bitcoin network. Um, every year, Bitcoin supply has expanded by 3.8%, okay? Um, okay? And that supply is what we're talking about here, the subsidy, okay? We are now going to go into the next four-year cycle. We're going through the next halving, okay? In this next halving, our supply issuance every year goes from 3.8 to 1.76. Okay, so the Bitcoin theoretically network, no, not theoretically. not theoretically. This is all um, this is in code. This is oh, okay, uh, okay, very okay. difficult to change. And uh, you know, even uh, I, I often get the sort of oh, you know, Bitcoin's 21 million is you know a, a lie and could easily be changed. Okay. That is absolute and utter bullshit. Okay, if if you, if, if you think about how Bitcoin, ne I mean, crypto networks are built. Okay, they are built to be, they they are built um, using something called mechanism design. Okay, they are created um, to provide incentives and disincentives to achieve a certain type of desired outcome. Okay, and and this is easy to explain when you think about the creation of the game of basketball. It's a weird. It's a weird analogy, but it, it brings it sort of together, right? So mm. the first time that basketball was ever played, they played on this open field. You had one guy on one side holding a bucket, a straw bucket, another guy on the other side holding another straw bucket. Each team had 10 people on the team. You were not allowed to travel with the ball. There were no points awarded for shooting from far away. Um, and... Uh, yeah, that was... It was a boring that, game. That was the game. And the game, the first ever game of basketball, ended in a 1-0 victory. That sucks. And everyone I wouldn't watched, watch that. Exactly. Everyone that watched was like, dude, this is... This sucks. This, is, this sucks. This game <laughs> sucks. I'm not coming to the next basketball That ain't game. interesting. Exactly. Yeah. So the guys that were trying to create the sport, they were like, shit, how can, we, how can we make this game more exciting? How can we achieve the desired outcomes of getting people to come to a game every week? You know? Yeah. So what they did is in, in, instead of like, you know, marketing the game and, you know, uh, doing X, Y, Z, they, they changed the rules around the interaction that was basketball. They used what we call mechanism design, which you can think of as like reverse game theory. In game okay. theory, we try and look at the, the decisions that are available to people. Yes. And we try and look at what decision is best for them to make in their self-interest. And therefore, we use game theory to predict 
how someone is going to behave. Okay. okay? Mechanism design takes that whole thing and flips, on, flips its it on its head and creates incentives and disincentives from the get go that achieve to a specific force goal. a desired outcome. You. Right? That's so, fascinating. Yeah, that's a br- I've, I haven't I haven't heard it explained that way. Hundred percent. So that's, that's so, awesome. so what did they do to basketball? Tell How me. the fuck did Tell they me. make basketball get to where it was? Well, what they did is they put a backboard on on the thing, so it's a mm-hmm. lot easier to score. We're going to get more points. People that's are going to get more excitement. Um, instead of having ten versus ten, they went five versus five. Okay. If you think about your practices now, every person at practice is touching the ball two times as oh. much as they were before. Okay. So skills development is going up. Okay. They then allowed people to travel with the ball, which added an extra element of excitement. And then they introduced the three-point rule. Okay, The three-point rule created an incentive to get good at shooting from long distances, Okay, which brought, yet again, more excitement. That's okay? fascinating. Now, those mm. incentives and disincentives that they added to the original game of basketball okay, achieved desired outcomes in creating an exciting game for people to follow. Um, and that, that is exactly what Satoshi Nakamoto has created. He has created a network, a platform, where there are incentives for acting in a certain way, disincentives for acting in a poor way, and at all points in time, anyone who is involved on the Bitcoin network can act in their own self-interest, okay, in a way that is not detrimental to anyone else on the network. Acts in your own self-interest are a net positive for everyone else on the network okay it is very difficult for you to make an act in your self-interest that uh, is bad for the network so for example cool america come attack bitcoin's blockchain okay this is like a big threat oh what happens if big nation states decided to overthrow the bitcoin network okay well it would be fucking retarded okay (laughs) because it's not economically um, beneficial to an attacker to come and try and mess with Bitcoin's network because the system has been created to cater for bad actors. Okay, it, is, it has been constructed in such a way that if you act out of your self-interest, okay, which would be doing something stupid like hacking Bitcoin's network, mm. you would lose all the electricity that you uh, had expended to to fuck with the ledger. Okay. Okay. You would also send your fake ledger to all the nodes that would say, oh, I don't want to mine on the NSA's chain. I'm not accepting this, this, this uh, block update. And you would essentially have the American government or the Chinese government spending trillions of dollars to buy up enough hardware to uh, expend enough electricity to have control over the Bitcoin network for 10 minutes where not one node would accept their, their form of the ledger. Okay. <laughs> so... That, that is what we've created here. We've created this gamified situation that incentivizes people to act in their self-interest, but isn't zero-sum, okay? Every time someone acts in their self-interest, they're making the Bitcoin network stronger, faster, better, yep. okay? Yep. Um, and that's, the, that's one of the like, sort of key breakthroughs is the mechanism design around how it works. Um, it, it, it makes you feel stupid to try beat it. Um, I, I remember... Um, I remember Fluffy Pony, the guy that created Monero, his story about how he got into crypto. Now, when he first read about Bitcoin, he was a big skeptic. He was like, this is, a, this is an absolute joke. There's no ways that money can be coordinated without the use of a, uh, of a central entity. Okay, So he went and he tried to hack Bitcoin's network. He spent a good couple of years of his life trying to destroy <laughs> Bitcoin. Okay, 
And it was at the point where he'd done it for Fippin three years and he'd realized that there were no ways that he could achieve any kind of economic payoff from attacking Bitcoin's network that he decided that crypto networks were the future. And he went and created a, a, a privacy token called Monero. Um, Fascinating. And I think that this is... He's a South African guy. He's a South African guy. He's a South African guy. And Monero is... Monero is... Monero is super cool. Yeah. Okay, well, let's, yeah. let's not it's get into Monero. Yeah. Let's not get into Monero. Um, well, but yeah, so, so, so we're currently in that early stage of okay. storing enough value. Okay? okay. Once Bitcoin's network stores enough value, it will become an ideal candidate for a medium of exchange. Okay. okay. And we'll know that it's become this ideal candidate for a medium of exchange when the volatility of Bitcoin uh, starts to reduce. Okay. This is another beautiful question that, that, that I get from asset managers that is it's close to insane, is that Bitcoin will never become anything because it is too volatile, okay? Well, volatility is not something that is inherent in what Bitcoin is. And yes, it, it is volatile in a perpetually inflating currency, okay? The, the, the actual supply and the value of underlying dollars that Bitcoin is priced in is more fucking volatile than Bitcoin, okay? So... Um, th this idea that, that, that volatility is inherent in what Bitcoin is, is close to insane, okay? It, 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 volatility is, is, has to do with liquidity. It has to do with order books. It has to do with, are there lots of people in the market? Okay? Mm, is it being traded? Is yeah. it being traded? Yeah. Is, you know, it, it all comes down to liquidity. Mm. Now, every single year, the liquidity around Bitcoin has increased. Every single year, the volatility around Bitcoin has decreased. Okay? We will reach a point where um, we lower volatility enough in order to make Bitcoin a viable medium of exchange. Yeah. And so just, just, to, just to jump in there, I th to give a bit of a bit of clarity on the volatility. So if, if you'd bought Bitcoin in 2011 or 2012, I remember you, I remember you showing me this yeah. other day, you would have made 68,000% in return. Yeah. So that that's where that's where it's come from in in yeah. that period. If okay, so the, if you compare that to what we what what you would have um got if you'd bought Bitcoin at the beginning of the year to now, what what sort of returns are you looking at there? Uh, at the beginning of the year to now, you would be up about 23%. Okay, so that's decent, but that's a hell of a lot mm. less volatile than 68,000. Mm. So I think that, that's, um, yeah, you uh, know, for people who haven't looked into it, that, that's Yeah, I, I also think, you know, it's, uh, it's I, I, I hate to talk about Bitcoin as like a fiat wealth accumulation device. You know what I mean? Mm. It, it, it's not there for you to get rich in dollar terms, okay? We, we need to stop thinking about money as if it's denominated in fiat. dollars or yeah, in fiat. Yeah, we yeah. need to start thinking about it as if it's denominated in, in purchasing power. Yeah, in value. Okay? Mm. So if we do a quick thought experiment, when I was in grade eight, okay. there was a vending machine at the tuck shop yes. at Alton, okay? And I, I could go there and I could put a five rand coin in that vending machine and I would get a Coca-Cola, yeah. okay? Now, I could be irresponsible and do something that I don't understand. Fortunately, I, I, I was sent to university and I became financially literate, but I could have done the normal thing and gone to a bank and provide the, provided them with an unsecured loan. And hopefully, with over the course of my savings okay. period, they wouldn't act poorly. You could have stuck your hand up in the... In the I remember doing that. That's probably how I got I think most I, of mine. I got, I got a, a couple of cokes like that. I remember... <laughs> Getting my arm right in there. Right in there. <laughs> it was classic. Yeah, um, 
but but that needs to change okay I, when when i was in grade eight instead of me thinking oh i'm putting five rand in this mm. in this vehicle and i'm hoping that that five rand in rand terms is going to be more in 10 years time that that that's a silly way of looking at saving the the way we need to look at saving is is putting away purchasing power delaying purchasing power for a later time now my question is if i didn't put that five rand into a bank okay where they could lend it out as they please would i with that five rand have the same amount of purchasing power in five years time definitely not okay bitcoin isn't about getting wealthy in dollar terms you don't want to be wealthy mm. in dollar terms there's an abundant amount of dollars available okay you don't want to be wealthy in dollar terms that's like that's like being wealthy in monopoly money okay if you went to all your friends house stole their game of monopoly and hoarded their pieces of paper that you can play monopoly with it's essentially the same thing that you're doing with the u.s dollar absolutely okay the only difference is that everyone is playing the same game the only difference Currently. is that yes 100 percent. everyone is there are huge incentives for still using the u.s dollar there are there are so many guys with skin in the game that it that the u.s dollar probably still has legs to go okay but that doesn't mean that it is the best yeah. purchasing power preserver out there okay? and bitcoin in your mind is that bitcoin at orders of magnitude is the best savings Fantastic. vehicle in the entire world okay and it, and it, and it's and, and it is because it's certain it is because it um it is known okay uh, if, if you think about how the world operates we we almost operate in four-year cycles where we get these these politicians um that come in and they've got four years to make themselves look good okay they don't care what happens 12 years post their decisions within that four-year time period i mean a guy like Donald Trump um, wants lower interest rates. He wants them to print money, okay, so that he can artificially prop up his economy and make people think and buy into this illusion that there is growth, okay? Mm, mm. The creation of new money doesn't produce growth. The investment of said money into productive assets produces growth. That doesn't require a, an exponentially inflating money supply to achieve, okay? Um, so... I don't know where we are now. Yeah. It's a big, it's a big conversation. It's a big conversation. Um, well, look, I, I think, uh, you know, to let's not make this, let's not make this too, too long because we could, you know, I mean, we have, we have gone in circles, probably largely, to to me, um, you know, and and also the size of the conversation. I think there's there's so much, there's so much going on in in the space. There's so many very very intelligent people that are looking at it that are trying to figure out what is going on, what's, what's happening, what's the next move. Um, you know, we could, we could talk in, in, in circles for, for a long time. But the long and the short is you are heavily invested in Bitcoin. Um, as a result of you being heavily invested in Bitcoin and also as a result of me liking the, the technology myself, I've also got Bitcoin. And I think more people out there should also get Bitcoin. That is, that's essentially what, what, you know, the network needs. It needs more people that believe in it, yeah. one, and it needs more people that hold it, two, and it needs more people in time that are going to transact with it. Yeah. So how do people do that? And why should they do it now? Because well, of the halving. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, we, we're talking about Bitcoin as if it's, you know, an, an, an investment. Okay, and, and, and to us it is because we've lived privileged lives, okay, and we've, we've had this opportunity to, 
get good jobs that we can um, have enough money to invest in things like this, right? But Bitcoin will win because of fiat. Bitcoin, um, Bitcoin will always win in a world where fiat is the payment system, right? Because people will be forced, well, not forced, but uh, people, okay, yeah, people will be forced to fight for alternatives. So if we just run a quick thought experiment. Yeah, let's uh, do it. What sane individual would store 100% of their wealth, okay, assuming that they have the ability of choice, which we know that most of the developed world doesn't, but what sane individual uh, would store their 100% of their wealth in, a currency, in currencies other than, okay, the US dollar, um, the euro, the pound, the yen, and maybe the Swiss franc, okay? Yeah. So there's five yeah. really decent fiat currencies, okay? Yes. And when I say really decent, um, I mean they preserve purchasing power relatively stable over short periods of time. Okay. Okay. All of them over long periods of time have lost 99% of purchasing power since the 1970s. Okay. okay. But, but over the short term... Since those, the 1970s? No, 1917. Okay. Oh, since 1917? 1917. Those currencies are, are sort of most stable. And uh, there's no real sane individual in the world that would store their 100% of their worth in anything but those five, okay? Now, those five account for 15% of the world's population, okay? So, the, this sort of tells us that there's 85% of the world's population, yes, they might not be in the developed world. Yeah. Yes, they might not be the richest, most wealthiest, mm. okay? But there's 85% of the world's population that does not have a local fiat currency that they want to save their wealth in. Okay. That's a problem. That is a problem. But that creates an opportunity for something Absolutely. like Bitcoin. Something mm. that um, is not stopped by borders, that requires its citizens to just have an internet connection. Okay. Bitcoin winning is, is not a difficult road for it. Okay. Yes, Americans might not think that Bitcoin is a, a great money because to them, relative to the rest of the world, their US dollar is done pretty damn decently. Okay. Especially because their lives are so damn short, okay? Over longer periods of time, um, they'd be shocked, you know? For example, like your dad, if you ask your dad what kind of tuck shop money he got back in the day, he would yeah. say, bro, like, well, I mean, I can, sense, I'll bro. tell you, I'll tell you, so something that stuck with me from my dad and exactly that, he was, he was telling me, I mean, he's told me the same story over and over again, but he said he used to walk into a restaurant, him and a couple of mates, and for 75 cents, yeah. 75 South African cents, he could buy a steak, egg, and chips. And that's, that same steak, egg, and chips these days would cost you at least 120, 120 rand. Yeah, 100, 120, 100 bucks at a, at a chat restaurant. Yeah, yeah. literally. Um, so that's, that's, an interesting, that's an interesting anecdote. Yeah, yeah. So and I mean, he's, he's 78. So that was, what, that was 1960? Yeah. 1950? 100%. So you, you can see the rapid, um, the rapid sort of loss of purchasing power that these fiat currencies have have, have sort of uh, been able or have gone through um, you know and and uh, their, their inflation has found their way into into sort of financial assets like stocks and and property and and all those sort of things all that free available money has gone into propping up another mm. asset mm. okay um, people have started to identify the fact that property stores value better than money you know, I mean, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's insane, you know. Um, now, how many people, you know, can readily buy property 
um, how many people have access to decent banking services, you know, and, and now, you t now you're telling me that the best storeholds of wealth are financial assets that, you know, most of the world doesn't have exposure to. Most of the world can't get exposure to. Mm. There's, there's over 2 billion people that are unbanked there. Um, you know, the, the guy that works in my garden is a, is a typical example, okay, he's, he's a Zimbabwean citizen, he can't get a South African ID, he works harder than most South Africans in this country, but because he can't get a South African ID, he can't open a bank account. Because he can't open a bank account, he can't own a home, okay? These are limitations that mm. the government has mm. put on people, okay? I understand he's not a citizen of this country. Yeah, yeah, no, but um, I'm, yeah. But, uh, you know, basic, like, services that the, the government <laughs> should be providing are not being provided. And that opens this opportunity up to, to Bitcoin as a form of money, more like gravity than a decision, okay? <laughs> Because it, yeah. it becomes yeah. more of a more more of a gravity type situation. Situation. Yeah. Then, uh, when people get desperate, it'll be the thing that they go to. So, um, are there case studies of this? Are there examples of this? Yes, there are. There are multiple examples. Argentina. Okay. Argentina has just gone through um, a banking crisis. Has just gone through um, an interest rate crisis. Okay. Has gone through an inflationary crisis. Okay. And they. Are they their Bitcoin markets trade at a significant premium to dollar-based Bitcoin markets? Okay, even our South African Bitcoin market trades at a premium because what fool would buy Bitcoin in US dollars and sell it for rands? Okay, so Bitcoin is already showing us these truths. Okay, that that Bitcoin is worth more in different currencies. Okay, based on how much they inflate or based on the discipline <laughs> that their central banks practice. Okay. Um, and, and we, we know that the most disciplined is, is probably um, the Federal Reserve, okay? Uh, they also have the ability to have the reserve currency of the world, so they've got an unfair advantage. So the dollar-denominated price of Bitcoin should be our sort of baseline figure while Bitcoin goes through the store of value phase. But mm. in other currencies, like in Venezuela, for example, yeah, Venezuela's now, Bitcoin's trading at $15,000 in Venezuela. What? In, 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 in the equivalent in no Bolivia. No way. Or whatever yeah, it's called. yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, wow. in South Africa, we've seen spreads up to 20%. That, that is purely due That's to the fact that people don't have no idea that Bitcoin that was, yeah. for rands. They don't want rands for their Bitcoin. They don't want this perpetually well, yeah, yeah. depreciating yeah. yeah. assets. Yeah. Yes, okay? yeah, yeah. Um, so That's fascinating. The, the I had no is, idea that that was the yeah, case. The world is already proving hmm. to us that in countries where their financial system goes completely out of whack, okay, and that they lose faith in the Ponzi scheme that is fiat, okay, there is a rush to assets like Bitcoin, okay? Now, why isn't there a rush to gold? Well, there is also a rush to gold, okay? But gold requires you to be plugged in to some kind of brokerage system, okay? It requires you to go through KYC and all the permissions of our government and central bank mm, overlords, mm, mm. okay? All because one flippant terrorist decided to act badly and now we all need to be treated like criminals, okay? <laughs> and therefore are not exposed to basic services like financial yeah. services. Bitcoin, not the case. Bitcoin, not the case. Bitcoin doesn't give a fuck who you are, okay? And Absolutely. it doesn't have to give a fuck who you no, are. No, it shouldn't care. Because there are disincentives for acting poorly. You want to come to the Bitcoin network and act poorly. Good luck. There is no economic incentive for you to do so, okay? It yeah. changes the game. God bless John Nash, eh? Yeah. Um. That's interesting. Well, look, I think um, I think we've had a... 
We've had quite a quite a, a long conversation. I don't know how long how long we are. Almost at an hour. So I think let's let's call it let's call it there. But yeah, Jay, thanks thanks for yeah, thanks for the chat. I think you know uh, this this the bars of Mars is a <laughs> as the name the name was originated uh, about sixty two minutes ago. Um, the bars of Mars bars of Mars podcast. Um, look, it's a, it's a learning it's a learning experience. Okay. I'm I'm learning about. Bitcoin when I or or at least um, Bitcoin and and you know the crypto sphere when I'm talking to you it's something that I believe in something that I'm fascinated in and it's obviously something that you know a hell of a lot more about than I do um, and yeah I mean it's a learning experience I'm sure you I'm sure you or you obviously learn every day you know you yeah. can never you can never even though you're a you know this is your this is your field yeah, I don't think it's a it's an ever expanding it's an ever expanding yeah. thing and you know your your yeah. the way you go about it changes. Um, yeah, the way the way in which crypto in general is rapidly changing, um, you know, it, it, it's a learning curve almost every month. You know, just to, just to keep up with the innovations that are that are happening in the crypto space is is close to impossible. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's a new paradigm. It's a it's a it's a new paradigm in in financial computing. It's a new paradigm in our understanding of money. It's the first time in the world that we can opt out of the status quo and operate on a money that is coordinated by stakeholders who use it, yeah. okay? um, as opposed to you know, a small monopoly of individuals who decide what happens and where things go. Um, and it moves away from our world's biggest problem. Um, our biggest problem is that we have, and we have had over 